Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. So excited for today's episode. Rhonda Stoppi is here today to talk about her latest resource, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Rhonda is a pastor's wife. She's a teacher. She's a speaker and a podcast host. She's helped thousands of Wildham build a life with no regrets. She's got a lot of experience, and I think it's a voice we all need to hear. So, hey, do me a favor. Buckle in for this one. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who you know is raising sons. I really do think this is such an important conversation. And you guys know that our number one goal around here is help people move closer to Jesus. My prayer for you is that this conversation does just that. So now, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Rhonda. Rhonda, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you today. Well, one of the things that I love to jump into is you you wear a lot of different hats. You are um, a pastor's wife, of course, a mom. You're an author, a speaker, written multiple books. I'm always curious, how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Well, (laughs) and I'm the grandmother of 15, which is my highest and best calling right now. They're all very young. I just had five of them at our house so mommy and daddy could sneak away on a getaway without the kids. And they're all uh, seven years old and under. And then I have some more. I'm going to watch four of them next week because my son's going on his 10th anniversary with his wife. So that's my favorite thing. But my ministry in the church, my number one ministry is, you ready for this? Hashtag I sleep with the pastor because <laughs> when you're the pastor's wife and they hire your husband, they think they're getting a twofer. So they're like, what do you do? Do you sing in the choir? Do you play the piano? Do you work in the nursery? I worked in the nursery once and a little boy broke his leg and my husband's like, I need you in here with me. <laughs> I need you not in there with the kids. <laughs> and you know, truly pastor's wives are the only ones that can minister to the minister in the way that God has called us. And that's kind of a soapbox that I get on. And I know you minister to pastors and their wives and their marriages. And that's one of mine and Steve's uh, passions. We have been married for almost 42 years, been in the ministry for most of that time. The church that we're at now is First Baptist Church in Patterson, California. Steve's been the senior pastor there for 23 years. Uh, We were in youth ministry before that, which is super fun. And when God called us back to California, we cried all the way because we loved Texas where we had planted a church, but the Lord knew this is where he was calling us. So when you go to a new church, they say, so what do you do? And I literally say, I sleep with the pastor and I make sure he preaches in clean socks and underwear. (laughs) And they are like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Because truly, I'm the one that knows the tears he cries over his people that he's burdened for. I'm the one who watches him labor in the word. I'm the one who encourages him and uplifts him and prays for him in ways no one else can. So if you're listening and you're thinking, why doesn't my pastor's wife do X, Y, or Z, step back and know that God's called her to a unique ministry. In fact, I have an ebook out and it's called I Sleep with the Pastor. It's a 52-week devotional for pastor's wives because I get where they're coming from. And really, the book is just to help us get our heart right for 52 weeks, once a week, before we go minister in our congregations for pastor's wives to get their hearts in a place where they're serving, where Christ is serving through them. So yeah, my priority ministry, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, all the things, but Steve is my priority ministry. That's wonderful. Um, it's so funny that you say that. My wife, 
uh, I was the lead pastor at um, a Methodist church in the area. And she said, she kept getting introduced as the pastor's wife. And um, she said, please don't introduce me like that. It comes with too much expectations. And so then she responded with just tell everybody that I'm the woman that sleeps with the pastor and the, the, the seasoned woman who she was talking to at the time, her name is Wally. She said, Oh good. We haven't had a scandal around here in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and even to the point where my husband didn't counsel women alone, you know, the, uh, the, the, all someone has to do is make an accusation of an inappropriate action, even if it didn't occur. And uh, you know, we've ministered to couples where that, pastor has ended up having an affair with someone he was counseling, never intending for it to go that direction. Yeah. But when we give Satan a foothold. So yeah, for, for years when Steve would have someone in his office, I was always there too. Uh, now we have other women that his door can be opened or he can, they can be near where he is. But yeah, there's, there's things that your pastor's wife does that you don't know anything about. So I, in yeah. fact, I just wrote an article for focus on the family for their, um, pastor's ministry, uh, what do you call it? Pastor appreciation. Hmm. And it was talking about how my husband asked me, I want you sitting in the front row with me on Sunday mornings. I'm the one texting him. Hey, so-and-so's here. Don't forget to pray for them. Hey, so-and-so's birthday today. Hey, you know, I, I'm the one that laughs at his jokes when he's telling his message. I'm the one encouraging him. And it's funny when I am out on a speaking engagement, which I try not to be gone too many times on a Sunday. Uh, but my, close friends will say, he's just not on his game when you're not sitting in your seat. So (laughs) I kind of love that. But I wrote this article explaining, you know, this is what your pastor's wife does, and this is how you can minister to your pastor and his wife. And most people were very supportive, encouraging. And one person kind of jumped in disagreeing with my point of view. And I was taken aback. I literally had to pull myself out and say, they don't know. They don't get it. They have no idea what my husband needs from me and what he's asked of me. And that's okay. Cause, uh, in my book, mom's raising sons to be men, one section is called people pleasing isn't pleasing. Mm-hmm. And it's super easy as a pastor's wife to think, Oh, I just got to please everybody. You don't, you please the Lord, you serve your husband and you honor Christ with that stewardship of your gift that he's called you to. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? There's no, it's no secret that the last couple of years has been really hard on pastors and their families and many pastors like myself have left their senior leadership roles to explore other God callings. And some are still in ministry and some are, are now just not in vocational ministry. Or um, I, I'm curious from your perspective, how have you seen the last couple of years in COVID and all that jazz really impact the family of pastors? Discouragement. Uh, Before COVID, I had read a statistic that 1,500 pastors a month were leaving the ministry. And the number one reason was the stress on their marriages and their families. Mm. I can't, I don't even know what the statistic is now since COVID, but I know a lot of pastors that closed their doors during the lockdowns just never returned. They just decided this is a good time to step back and let someone else take it. I watched uh, strong opinions by Uh, parishioners being imposed upon the pastors on how they should handle the COVID situation on, if you really love the Lord, uh, you'll keep your church open no matter what. If you really loved your people, you'd close your church because they're going to die because of your bad decision. And my advice is this, do you trust your pastor 
if your pastor is seeking the Lord, if your pastor is in the word, if he is working alongside of other men that are giving him godly counsel and and insights, if you can't follow that your pastor is following Christ, like Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, then you should go find a pastor that you can trust. Because the reality is you don't know. It's, it's, I think of like for women, because women always have all the opinions. Uh, <laughs> is it Lydia? Is that Moses' sister, Lydia? I just lost it. No, Miriam. Uh, that Miriam, you know, she comes to Moses and she's like, dude, we're, we're prophets too. And you're important, but so are me and, and Aaron. What did God do to her? Uh, leprosy. <laughs> Girlfriend, <laughs> God called your brother Mo to lead the people. He didn't call you. And yes, you've been called a prophetess. And yes, you did that wonderful song after the crossing at the Red Sea. I mean, at the, you know, at the parting of the waters, you, you did that. And that was awesome because that was in your place that God had called you for your ministry. But now your pride got in the way. And now you're trying to usurp the authority of the man God called to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. And sometimes in ministry, that's kind of what happens. Our pride gets in the way and we think, why aren't they thinking the way we think? And we um, cause dissension in a church body. And, you know, Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. What do you think Satan's going to use to steal away our testimony in a world that needs Christ? Dissension, disunity over, you know, we should be meeting, we shouldn't be meeting. We should be wearing masks. We shouldn't be wearing masks. We should, you know, all the things. And Satan just needs a foothold. All he needs to do is make us hypocritical to our children. Mm. You get in the car and you drive away from church on Sunday morning and you're talking about all the people and what their kids wore and how they acted. I would never and we would never. You're not living in a way that's going to draw your kids to Christ. And, you know, they say 75% of teenagers leave the church and never come back after high school. And the number one reason, and this is experience of 18 years of youth ministry alongside my husband, is hypocrisy in their Christian homes. You tell a kid that his parents are crack addicts, Jesus loves you, and he's like, me? Jesus knows my name and he loves me, and they can't believe it. But you tell a kid who's been raised in a hypocritical, apathetic Christian home, Jesus loves you, and oftentimes he's like, yeah, I know, I've heard it my whole life, big deal. We have to live in a manner worthy of our calling, and we have to be so careful to uplift and support the church and be a part of the church family. Because I think they say 25% of people that stopped going to church during COVID are still watching online. And if you're one of them, get out of your chair and go back to church. Because God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as such is the habit of some, and all the more as we see the day approaching. And guess what? (laughs) It's pretty obvious the day is approaching. (laughs) So when when you're just watching online, you're a consumer. You're not serving. You're just taking. You're just trying to hit and miss, you know, eating your cereal, eating your Captain Crunch while the worship is going on. And you're not engaged in the worship. You're not engaged in the community of your body. You're not serving. Now, I know there's some who physically can't go. Praise God for online services for them. But if you're just not going because your kid has soccer practice or a game and you're going to go to that sporting event and you're going to miss church, but you'll watch it later, let me just tell you something. Back in the day, I'm 62 years old, so I'm just going to tell my age because people try to figure it out. And when I, my kids were growing up, nobody played sports on Sunday, but somebody in there started throwing out sporting events on Sunday mornings and the church didn't stand up. The church did not say, my kids won't be there on Sunday. They went along with it. And now you can't find a sports team, barely, 
that doesn't schedule games on a Sunday. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> no, I, stay on it. I, I think it's I, I think it's such an important conversation, right? Because without the intentional community, without the intentional dialogue, without some of that stuff, um, we don't grow. And this is, I mean, this is why how the church didn't stand up because we didn't talk about it. We didn't step on anybody's toes and make people feel a little convicted through the process. Um, I, I what I do hear is a lot of passion, and I know that you have a passion for the local church and your husband. I, I am kind of curious in your own spiritual rhythms, how do you guard your heart against the resentment that comes from armchair quarterbacks in the church? Because I I mean, anybody who's pastored a day knows that there are a hundred <laughs> people in the congregation who, who could, who feel like they could do it better than you or your mm-hmm. husband. <laughs> yeah. I will say my husband guards me from knowing a lot of it. When we first took the senior pastor role, when he came home at night, I'd be like, what happened? Who said this? Who did that? Who did what? And what we found was for him, he already had lived his day. And when he was coming home, we live a 45-minute drive from the church up a canyon, no cell service. We live in the mountains. And in that 45-minute time, he has decompressed. He has spent time with the Lord. And when he walks in the door, he's ready to just enjoy my company and enjoy our home and our Mm -hmm. family. And when I started asking him all the questions, I'm asking him to relive his day. And so I had to learn that unless there was something that I was involved in that I needed to be involved in, I needed to not have to know all the details. And he very much, most men can compartmentalize very well. So when the armchair quarterback comes in and says what they say, he gets a gut punch. He processes it. He he always tells me this because I get those comments too. There's always a, a bit of truth in anything someone says to you. So process what they're saying, and it's their reality. It's it's how they perceive the situation. So stop, even with what are, whether your intentions were good or not, stop and understand where they're coming from to at least evaluate the piece of truth there that they might be perceiving in the situation, and then decide before the Lord, have I offended? Do I need to go back and ask forgiveness? Do I need to make that right? Or is this something that I'm just going to cover with love and asking the Lord to help me? And I'll be honest, there's times that it's like, no big deal. And there are times, especially when it has been someone who's been close, that you you cover it with love. You ask the Lord to help you forgive them. You ask, you know, the Lord to forgive you for that bitterness or that resentment that's kind of brewing. And every day it comes back in your mind, whether something else happens that triggers that remembrance of it or something else kind of similar. And it is wrestling, but we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities Mm. of darkness. So understanding who we're battling against, Satan will use a weaker brother to to tear down those that are serving Christ if he can. So I think identifying, I know this person and I want to believe the best about them because 1 Corinthians says, loves, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Believes all things means believes the best about them. I want to believe the best about them and I'm not going to assign wrong motives to their actions. Down the road when they make a comment, I'm not going to assign a wrong motive to that comment based on something that happened in the past. Uh, It's a wrestling match because our minds is where the battle is won and lost. 
And if we want to walk in victory in ministry or wherever you serve, I liked your last episode about discipleship and considering how we steward our gifts. I want to steward well the gifts that God has given me. And as soon as I allow Satan to put sinful thoughts or even my own flesh. Satan doesn't have to mess with me because my flesh is pretty much (laughs) easy enough to mess with me myself. But as soon as I start being distracted by those sinful thoughts, I have a decision to make. Because even just this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. If I am stuck in a root of bitterness, Mm. which will sow sour grapes in my congregation, in my family, in my children, it renders my prayers powerless. And honestly, that is not, I want to pray for my children to uh, guide their children well, for my grandchildren to come to Christ, for my husband and his ministry. I am not willing to exchange a powerful prayer life for an offense. Psalm 119, 165 says, great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them or nothing shall cause them to stumble. When I can't get past it, I need to wash my mind with the water of the word. I need to press in more to the word of God and asking him to help me take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and take those thoughts, those strongholds and cast them out of my mind and replace them with truth. I memorize a ton of scripture and that's my weapon of my warfare. When I can't get past the thought, I go right to the, I've almost got the whole book of Philippians memorized. I go right to the book of Philippians and I just start preaching preaching Philippians to myself and it'll give you victory. One of the things that I appreciate um, about your ministry and just about your presence is that you're clearly dripping with the relationship that you have with the Lord, right? It just, it just overflows from you. And I, I, I admire that deeply and, and love that. One of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm, that's um, good. So what what are some of your daily, weekly disciplines that you do in order to stay in that relationship with the Lord in such a way? And then on top of that, and I'm stacking questions, I know I'm not supposed to, but on top of that, um, could we also hear any suggestions that you have for what you do with your grandkids or your kids growing up? I I love family disciplines too. Mm -hmm. So for me, I have found that I am easily distracted. I am easily captivity of activity can draw me away. Even doing good things, I am easily moved into self-sufficient. I got this. I know, I know how to do this. Mm. And when I do that, I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm not being empowered by him and his word. So for me, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And honestly, for me, I have to every day, this is my morning routine, uh, and I don't have kids anymore. So when I had kids, we'll talk about that in a minute. And I talk about that in my book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. And I also talk about it in my book. My, Steve and I wrote a book called The Marriage Mentor, Becoming the Couple You Long to Be. But when mm. I, at this season of my life, um, I always say hashtag old ladies know stuff. That's the name of my new podcast, Old Ladies Know Stuff. It's a nod to the Titus Two women. At this, this season of my life, I wake up and I lay in my bed and I do not get up until I go over the scriptures that I'm memorizing. I memorize, uh, memorizing Philippians. I said the whole book. So I'm, I'm stuck in chapter three. I'm, I've got one, two, and four and three for some reason. It's like Teflon brain. It's just, I have to keep working at it. Uh, I had COVID. So I think the COVID messed my brain. I'm going to blame it on COVID fog. 
Anyway, so I go through all of that on my, just laying in bed with my eyes closed. I don't even get up. And I know that's a luxury that not everyone has, and I haven't always had it, but I have it now. And then I read through the Bible in a year. And so I, it's a morning, I mean, a Old Testament, New Testament. You can do it morning and evening. I do it all in the morning before I get out of bed. And then I'm usually reading a devotional. I have one that I just love by John MacArthur. It's the words of Jesus. I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's like I've gone through it like five different times. It's an daily through the months of the year. And then I try to uh, be reading some book that just really is speaking to right now I'm reading four shadows. It's written by Steve Miller. It's, it's mm. produced with Harvest House. Actually, Steve Miller was my, um, my what's the word editor at Harvest Harvest House Publishers. I adore oh, the wow. man. He's humble and amazing. And this book is called four shadows and it's pointing to the second coming, but it's not um, sensational. It's not assigning weird things to every little, you know, thing around the corner very biblical, uh, because I want to always be reading something. I, I read the book Teaching to Change Lives by mm. Howard Hendricks, Dr. Howard Hendricks. I read that almost every year, at least once. And uh, actually, his wife, um, Jeannie Hendricks, just wrote an endorsement in my book, Moms Raising Sons, which I was so honored because I have been so taught at a distance from Dr. Howard Hendricks. I should say the late Dr. Howard Hendricks. But it, that book is just a great if, – if, I, I know that I, I heard on one of your podcasts that your teaching and your storytelling is your giftedness and you steward that well. And honestly, that's where I am. I, uh, that's my, my zeal. I'm going away this weekend to speak at a woman's event the hardest thing in the world for me is to leave Steve and to leave my family and leave for a weekend because, and especially even during COVID, I did so many more virtual events. I did so many more online stuff and it was like night and we live in the middle of nowhere and we just got really good internet. We haven't had it. We have a good satellite internet connection now, so I don't even have to drive to the office to do it. But when I do a woman's event, a retreat, a woman's tea, a woman's whatever, I'm looking in their faces and yeah. you see the word of God stirring their hearts and you see that it's quick and mm -hmm. powerful and sharper than a sword. And there is benefit. And then they come up to you at your book table and they want to talk and they want to, you're the anonymous person. They can tell all about their life and there is value in going. And yeah, the comfort of staying home has to be outweighed to get me out of my chair. So I am talking all over and I can't remember the point of that, what your question was. <laughs> oh, my disciplines. Those your are my disciplines, disciplines. <laughs> your disciplines. That's good. And, and, and just remember the second part that I stacked on top of that unfairly was about your family disciplines when you had kids in the home and then with the grandkids, anything we can, I I've got three kids. My oldest is 17. My youngest is 11, two boys and a princess. And so I'm always trying to steal good ideas. Yeah. So when I had my first daughter, Meredith, I quit corporate America. We lived in the San Francisco Bay Area and I stayed home to be her mom. And then I had my son when she was four years old. And I remember what Meredith said to me one day. She said, I know you can't wait till we're grown so you can do whatever you want. Mm. And, you know, if you have a firstborn girl, you understand. They're very articulate. They tell you what they're thinking. If my son had been my firstborn, I still wouldn't know. And he'd be in therapy talking about me on somebody's couch. <laughs> but when Meredith said that, I realized the impression I was giving my children was that they weren't my ministry. They were an inconvenience to my ministry. I have important wow. things to do out there, but I need you. I need you to put, find your shoes for goodness sake. Mom's got stuff to do. And it 
brought me to tears. So I bought books on how to be a better mom, made lists. The lists had no power to change me. They just made me feel guilty. And, you know, you lay in bed at night and you promise I'll be a better mom tomorrow. I'll try harder tomorrow. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to play with them. I'm going to laugh with them. I'm not going to get irritated. I'll be better tomorrow. And you're not. So Titus 2 calls the older women to teach the younger how to love their husbands, which means be a friend to your husband and love their children. And we were working in youth ministry at the time. So I started observing the moms of some of our teens and their marriages and their relationship with their kids. And I found the ones whose kids liked them. Their house was the place that everybody wanted to go hang out when they were teenagers. And I just reached out to those women and said, I need to know what you know. And I wanted them to teach me how to be a better Mm -hmm. mom, how to be a better wife. And so they said, okay, come to our Bible study. And so I went, and it was a precept Bible study. That's five hours of homework a week. And the first study was the book of Philippians. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm tearing up because it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life because I knew all those Bible stories. I went to Christian schools. I could fill in the blanks half the time in those little devotionals without opening my Bible because I knew that Bible verse. And I told these ladies, I don't have time to study the Bible. You forget how much work it is to raise kids. I can't spend five hours in homework. They said, just try. And my friend Gail, who just called me on my birthday, I just turned 62. She just turned 79. And she called me and we had a great chat about her influence in my life and in my parenting and in my marriage. She said, I'll help you with your kids. Just do this one study and see if it doesn't change you. And it did. Mm. And I would just have the book open on the coffee table. While I'm nursing a baby, I'm filling in the answers. My motivation, truly, this is my spiritual motivation for doing the homework, was because you had three hours together with grownups with free babysitting, and if you didn't do your homework, you could not talk. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that I, I can't do that. <laughs> but as the word began to wash over my mind, the Bible says, you know, for husbands to see that their wives are being washed with the water of the word, I began to view my parenting, my marriage, my life with a biblical worldview. I began Mm. to see things that I had never seen before. And now I wasn't trying harder to be a better Christian, a better mom, a better wife. I was resting at his feet and letting Christ do it through me. And as I did, my husband noticed the difference. I had a peace and a joy and a confidence because I was walking from a place of truth. So you can see why I love the book of Philippians so much. But that is what my kids saw. They saw mommy doing my Bible study, and I always had little Bible study for them to do. They had coloring books, or we watched The Donut Man back in the day. It was a Christian puppet show, and they would watch The Donut Man. That was their quiet time while mommy did her quiet time. But I wanted them to see, you know, and I would tell them, mommy needs to spend time with Jesus because that's how mommy can be a better mommy to you. God wants me to spend time with him so that my time with you is from a place of obeying him. And I don't, those weren't exactly the words I used, but to the point where I wanted them to see, I need the word of God. I wanted to raise children who understood we all need the word of God. And once we take it on our own and run with it, that's when we become prideful. That's when we become, Mm -hmm. um, you know, imposter syndrome. That's when we become fear of failure. That's when, you know, we push our own agenda and we run ahead of God, all of those things. So living that out in front of my kids and then also going to a physical Bible study where you're interacting because iron sharpens iron. And sometimes the things that are going on in your mind, when you say it out loud, 
the Holy Spirit really shows you what you're dealing with, your sin, your resentment, your fear, your anxiety. When you when it's rolling around in your head, sometimes you don't put words to it. But when you say it out loud, it gives you a, a way to discern it or inviting women into your life that will say, you know, I, I have a group of women and we've been friends for over 30 years. When you hear me say something out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks, please correct me. Please challenge me. Please mm. tell me, mm, that sounded resentful. That sounded anxious or fearful. How can I pray for you? What can we do about that? And those real relationships are important because if we just surround ourselves with people that won't call us on our stuff, we aren't even aren't even understanding our own heart because we're not hearing it the way that they do. And iron sharpens iron. When I'm just watching church online, I'm fine. I'm not prideful. I'm not, you know, getting my feelings hurt. I'm good. But when I'm living in community and I get bumped, what spills out of me reveals my heart. And sometimes what happens is people leave the church. I got bumped. I got offended. So I'm going to go find another church where I don't get offended. Uh, You're going to find offense no matter where you go, because if you're picking up an offense, you're going to find one everywhere you go. But if you're living in community, you get bumped and you you hear yourself or you feel that sinful offense rising up, now the Holy Spirit can do some work in your own heart and refine you when when God really calls us to that type of community. I want my kids to see me living in that type of community because they need it too. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Rhonda to remind you about what is happening over at Follow to Lead Coaching. Every single week, I am working with Christian executives from all over the U.S. to talk about what it means to live into their identity of faith. If you want to learn more or get into one of our group or individual coaching sessions, head over to follow the number two leadcoaching.com. I can't wait to connect with you there. This has been such a fun and fruitful work. I think it might be the next step for somebody who's listening right now. Again, head over to follow the number two leadcoaching.com. Now let's finish up this conversation with Rhonda. One of the things I appreciate about um, where you are in your season of ministry, and just you're very open about it, is you've now experienced quite a bit of life in the church and in the community. And like you're, you know, like like you said, the name of your podcast, right? Old Ladies Know Stuff. So um, I, I am interested in in the re- this is the 10th anniversary uh of this book and kind of the rewrite purpose and um h- how would you describe the difference uh, of approach i mean obviously the a lot of the core principles are the same but the window dressings have changed drastically over the last 10 years what what was so different about this version of the book versus the initial version of the book um you know in terms of how you view moms and sons it's interesting what has changed in a decade. The book Moms Raising Sons to Be Men came out in 2013. Now the book comes out in 2023, and you're saying to moms, you're raising a man. 100% God gave you a son to guide him toward his purpose and passion as a man. Ten years ago, that was not even a question. That wasn't even something that people asked. The book itself became a bestseller. In fact, I was on an interview with Focus on the Family. I think it was 2021, and it became – maybe it was 2020. I can't remember. It became one of their best of episodes because moms are desperate for mentors. And 
we understand that, you know, moms are the architects of the next generation. Most of the people that God has raised up in their culture to influence the world for Christ, their first teachers were not Bible scholars. Their first teacher was their mom. And -hmm. God has called us as moms of sons. You know, we look at the news, we freak out what's happening out there. I can't do anything about what's happening out there, but I can do what God's called me to do in my home. And I can raise my children. I have sons and daughters in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can raise them. Psalm 119, there's a, that says that God's word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against him. I want to, while their young little minds are so pliable, let them memorize scripture. We put them to bed every night with uh, Steve Green's Hide Him in Your Heart. Mm. And it's so beautiful because it is scripture set to music word for word, every song. And they laid in bed at night singing, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. They memorized scripture and that has carried them throughout their lives. So when we decide I wanted to rewrite this book, this Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Harvest House said, hey, it's a bestseller. We need to rewrite this. And I got to do a whole revision of it. There's a lot of the same material, but it's in different formats. There's a section in the back. It's written in three sections. The first section is Moms of the Bible, which we talk about Jochebed, Moses's mom, how that woman had to let go of that basket in the bulrushes, wow. what faith she had to let go of control because in Moms Raising Sons, there's a section called Control Freaks, Raise Freaks. And she had to let that baby go into the care of God. She had to trust God's plan for her child. There are moms that have to put their kids in public school. They have to send their child to a stepmom or a father that does not have a biblical worldview, and they're fearful. Jochebed's a great example. The second section of the book is practical, how to talk so he listens, how to listen so he talks, and talks a lot about adolescent sons, and we can visit that if you want to. And then the last section is even if. Even if you're alone, section for single moms. Even if he wanders, if you're raising a prodigal, you're praying for a prodigal. Even if you don't know what to say, talking about pornography and sexual immorality and how to have the purity talks with them and how to keep them from going down that path with uh, uh, internet like so many kids are addicted to. And then there's the last one that I absolutely love, and it is even if you're scared. And this one is talking about facing the culture war with wisdom and strength. Dr. James Dobson and Dr. Tim Clinton allowed me to put in the book an excerpt of one of their programs about teen suicide. I was driving when I was rewriting this book, and I was listening to Dr. James Dobson's family talk. And I've been a guest on Dobson's program a couple of times, and and Dr. Tim Clinton also. I love those men. And I immediately emailed the producer and said, I I need to have that in my book. I need to have just cut and paste the show notes in the book. And he said, go for it. And they gave me permission. 
but it talks about teen suicide and it talks about what an epidemic that it is in our, and I know that even during COVID it was worse. Steve was in youth ministry in Texas back in the 1990s and there was an epidemic of teen suicide in our very wealthy community. These kids got brand new cars when they turned 16. They got a brand new car when they graduated high school. We lived on a lake. They got boats from their dad that, you know, was married to somebody else and living somewhere else. And this, these kids were killing themselves. Mm. And, and so that was something that, you know, what do you, what do you say to a parent and, what this conversation talks about is have the conversations with them. Don't think if you bring it up that it isn't something that they've already heard about or already crossed their mind. Talk about it. Because a lot of times it's not that they don't want to be here. They just don't want to be in the situation that they're in. And so Dr. Tim Clinton and Dr. James Dobson give a great insight into that. And I, uh, if you don't mind, I would love to read it in an excerpt. Please do. This is the end of the book. Okay. This is your time in history, talking to moms. In 1950, when missionary Jim Elliott decided to leave the safety of America to take the gospel to the native people of the Ecuadorian jungle, his parents were fearful for his safety. Confident that his decision was directed by the Lord, Jim wrote this in a letter to his parents. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said they were a heritage from the Lord and that every man— should be happy who has a quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let those arrows fly, all of them, straight to the enemy's heart. That's Jim Elliott's letter to his parents. And we all, anyone who knows Jim's story, he died in the Ecuadorian jungle as a missionary. So the the rest of that chapter goes on. Mom, are you doing what it takes to prepare the arrows in your quiver? As you apply the biblical principles you've learned in this book, you can help prepare your son and daughters for God's purpose. When it's time to pull back the bowstring and release your child, imagine tearfully (laughs) watching them leave your bow. Holding your breath, you observe and pray as the Holy Spirit, like a mighty rushing wind, sovereignly guides him to the bullseye so that he might light on fire the generation in which the Lord ordained that he would live. I can think of no greater way to send my children out into the world. Can you? One more paragraph. I have to read it. The influence of mothers has shaped nations, trained leaders, nurtured artists, and encouraged ordinary men to accomplish extraordinary feats. This is your time in history, mom. This generation needs mothers who will selflessly embrace this blessed calling of motherhood and raise sons who are courageous and righteous. That is our calling. And that is, that is the point of this book. The point of this book is it's scary and the world is crazy, but God's called you in history for this time to raise your children in history for this time. And we have to equip ourselves for this ministry of motherhood because ministry of motherhood matters. Moms, dads, you really matter. You want to change the world? Start in your own home. Raise your kids like that. Amen. I'm, I'm here for all of that. I'm I'm fired (laughs) up. Let's, let's go find some kids and adopt them. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I adopted my oldest son. He was in one of our our youth groups and he needed a family. And, you know, in 18 years of youth ministry, we met a lot of kids that needed a family, but Tony, he was supposed to be ours. And he came to live with us when he was 15 years old. 
And uh, he was from a very abusive background. He gave his heart to Jesus. The Lord transformed him. Wow. He grew up. He, he went to A&M University. He went into the uh, Air Force as a fighter pilot. He flew the F-22 Raptor. He was a lieutenant colonel. He just retired two months ago, married a godly woman. They have two children that they're raising and serving the Lord, and they live in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, that there is a section in Moms Raising Sons that talks about what if he's not a child? Maybe it's a foster kid. Maybe it's an adopted kid. Mm. Maybe it's a stepchild that has moved into your home. And it talks about the importance of a few short years and what that, like Tony says in the book, what he learned from just watching how Steve loved his family, how uh, mothers nurtured their children. And he did not know what that looked like. And only a few years in our home, was it changed the trajectory of his life. And yes, he gave his heart to Jesus. And I also know I'm talking to some that have adopted and it hasn't gone well. Yeah. I have dear dear friends that have had that experience also, but you just do what God calls you to do, and the Word of God is quick and powerful, and it can do a work years beyond after they leave your home. In fact, if I can tell a quick story, yeah. when Tony was in our home, I would go, men learn shoulder to shoulder. So when your son is little, you get in his face, mama, you talk to him, you say, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you love the snot out of him. But when they hit adolescence, and you'll know when that is, they start smelling funky, they get a little attitude, they start pushing mom away, um, they need to know that you love them by how you respect them as a man. So what does that look like? Well, for Tony, I would sit in his Jeep at night when he would be working on the engine. It was in Texas, super hot. So he'd do it at night. I'd put my littles to bed and it was a convertible. So I would sit there and he would have his head down in the engine and he would talk about his dream to be a fighter pilot, his dream. You know, he graduated. He, he was one of those overachievers. You know how some kids, when they aren't treated well, when they're growing up, they overachieve. That was my boy. Yeah. So he was like valedictorian and student body president and all the things. And his, he talked about girls and he talked about wanting to be a fighter pilot and he talked about girls and we talked about girls with his head down in the engine. And when, if I had sat him in my chair in front of me and said, let's talk about girls, he probably would have listened to me, but he probably wouldn't have shared his heart. So then, you know, I would tell Tony, if God's called you to be in the Air Force, if he gives you your dream, then use it for his glory. And he was afraid that if he surrendered that dream to God, that God wouldn't let him have it. Mm. And and he was raised by an abusive father. So you know how they put those identity of the father, yeah. they can do that with God. So I'm sure that had some influence on, on his perspective. But he graduated A&M. He was learning to fly. He called home one day and he said, I got to tell you, I'm living my dream. And I started going to Sunday school off camp, uh, you know, off base. And my Sunday school teacher is an ex-fighter pilot. And he said to me, there's a handful of people that get to do what you get to do, but you're not getting this opportunity because you're all that. If God's given you this opportunity, it's because he wants you to use it for his glory. And Tony said, I'm mm. living my dream and it's not enough. And I understand now. So sometimes we implant something and God will send them out yeah. and bring someone else to speak truth in their heart that will bring them to the place that God is, is leading them and guiding them. And now Tony, he trained fighter pilots for years, and he got to be that voice in someone else's life. Wow, what fascinating stories. I, I think I could literally talk to you all day about this stuff. <laughs> um, I, I know I have one more question for you, but before I ask it, I, I know that uh, my podcast family is going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where's the best place to learn all things that God is doing in and through you? 
Well, my trademark is No Regrets Woman because I help women build no regrets lives. So my website is noregretswoman.com because it's easier than trying to remember rondastoppy.com. That'll get you to me also. Uh, <laughs> but you'll find oldladiesknowstuff.com. That's my podcast. Also, if you go to everythingnoregretswoman.com, you'll see videos of interviews I've done on Focus on the Family. You'll see all of my books. You can find my podcast, uh, lots of free resources. I remember when I was a stay-at-home mom and I was taking care of my kids and like literally standing in the grocery store deciding should I buy paper towels or napkins because I can't afford to buy both. So when you ask some mom that's staying home and trying to learn, I need $20 for this and $15 for that and they, they can't afford it. So as much as I can possibly make free, I'll make free. And I tell you what, that chapter I just read out of, I yeah. can send you the link for the free – they can get that chapter for oh, free. yeah, that would be great. So I'll send that to you and you can put it in the show notes or however you share it with your followers. So uh, it's the culmination of the entire book, that chapter. And if you follow along on my podcast, my – oh, I just posted. My son Brandon, who's a worship pastor, he wrote a Mother's Day song for me and it's called It's All in a Mother's Love and it'll make you cry. Mm. I play it. At homeschool conventions where I speak, I just spoke at Mops MomCon in San Diego last year, and I played it, not a dry eye in the house. And so I posted on Old Ladies Know Stuff, that is uh, a bonus episode, so it just it just posted today. and It was a Mother's Day gift to all my followers. And you can also watch a slideshow I created for that on my YouTube channel, Rhonda Stoppy No Regrets Woman. Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Uh, okay, last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question, and I ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. And so I, okay. I want to take you to um, the end of your husband's very first sermon that he preached as a lead pastor. So you're a brand new pastor's wife. You've got young kids. You're doing all the things. If you could go back in time and sit knee to knee with that younger version of yourself, pull up a chair, hold her hand. Look her in the eye. What's the one thing that you're going to tell her? Mm, God's got this. Mm. When we came back here, we literally cried all the way to California. And like I was sharing with you, we had planted a church. Steve was stepping into the senior pastor role of that church as the senior pastor who had started the church with us was going to retire. Our plan was in place. And this church, Steve had worked in youth ministry there years before. They started calling Steve they called him every six months for two and a half years and asked him to consider being their pastor. And we said, no, we pray about it, but we're not coming. And the last time that they called, Steve said, I'm going to go fly out there and check it out. And I'm like, I'm not going with you because I don't want to go. Our kids are flourishing. Our church is flourishing. I have no desire to go back to California, but if this is what God has for us, I'm going to send you and I'm going to pray for his wisdom and discernment for you because I don't want to change your mind if it's what the Lord has. So he came home. Of course, they offered him the job. And we sat down. I was like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what if this? And what if that? And Steve's like, okay, finally, we're going to put on a pot of coffee, put all the kids back. They went to school. Sometimes I've homeschooled. Sometimes I haven't. At, in Texas, the, the schools were great. They were in school. Uh, I will say this. I homeschooled my son, Brandon, when we were in Texas, when he had epilepsy and his seizures were out of control. And that I talk about that in Moms Raising Sons also. But he said, ask whatever you want. So we made a pros and cons list on a yellow legal pad, pros to stay in Texas, cons, all that. After we finished the list, we both said, it makes perfect sense. We should stay right where we are. It makes no sense to go back to California. And then we both started to cry. And we were <laughs> like, we have to go. We have to go. 
my daughter was a junior in high school. Tony graduated college that year and was going into the Air Force. My two littles were going to be, uh, how old were they, 11 and 9. And I um, didn't want to move my family, didn't want to leave our church. Our church was made up of a lot of new believers and having yeah. to leave them for the ravenous wolves. But we had God's will. You know, it says God is, works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. He makes it irresistible. And then he gives you the want to even when you don't want to, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. We drove into the town of Patterson, which is a huge meth addict town. And as we drove into town off the exit, I remember having kind of a panic attack. Like, what are we doing? And the word, when the word is hidden in your heart, it brings peace when you need it. And Isaiah 41.10, which I honestly did not even know I had memorized. I probably helped my kids memorize it for something that they needed it for. And it was a, do not be afraid or dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, God, if you'll help us. And then that scripture that Paul, that God spoke to Paul, and these are not audible verses. I'm not yeah. hearing an audible voice. It's the word of God, which is quick and powerful, that pierces our hearts and gives us courage. When Paul, when God said to Paul, don't be afraid. I have many in this city. Why did God tell Paul he had many, that he was afraid, not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. <laughs> when God told Joshua, do not be afraid or dismayed. Why? Because his hero Moses had just died. And now he's going to lead these whine and complaining people into the promised land. Mm. God spoke courage to them. And when he said that to Paul, he said, don't be afraid. I have many in this city. And, and you know what he did? The yeah. church that we came back to after two and a half years without a pastor was a very small handful of people. In fact, the salary that we said yes to, we could never have lived on except a decade earlier, God had put in my husband's heart to be debt-free and live in the country. And we bought this ranch and Steve built the house as we had the money and we didn't sell it. So we came back to a house in California with no mortgage payment and we were able to wow. take this senior pastor position. And this handful of people that were still there said, we each wanted to leave. We were ready to leave the church, but God would not allow us to go. And that has been our team for the last 23 years. And God said, I have many in the city. We've seen so many come to Christ and our church is exploding with, and it's not a mega church. No, thank you. <laughs> That's just a big responsibility, but it's a healthy church. We built a building 10 years ago, wow. debt free. Steve said, you know, we had all these young families, these kids that were in college had come to Christ, married each other or having babies. We have so many kids in our church. And he said, it's time to build a building, but there's no mortgage on this property. And I'm not going to put this church into debt. So let's pray about what God might do to help us build this building without having to go into debt. And we did it as we had the money and everybody rolled up their sleeves and volunteered. And it, it's been 10 years. And when COVID hit, we had no mortgage payment to pay. All we had to do was wow. pay our staff and keep the lights on. And the Lord taught so many of our young couples how to live in a way that you're not so married to your debt that you can't say yes when God calls you to do something because you both have to work or you both have to work overtime and all the things. So what would I say to my younger self? God's got this. Trust yeah. him. His ways are above ours. His thoughts are above ours. As high as the heavens are above the earth. And your kids need to see you guys walk this faith walk because he's going to call them to walk their own. And he's going to call your children into ministry. And they need to see it lived out in your home so mm -hmm. that they know how to live it in their walk. 
Long answer, I know. <laughs> it's perfect. That's what we're here for, a long-form format. So, uh, I, you know, I just appreciate your heart so much and your time and your generosity today and your wisdom. And, uh, and friends, I just want to encourage you, go subscribe to the podcast, go pick up a copy of the book, and um, let's continue to impact the next generation. Rhonda, thank you so much for your generosity today. Thank you. Oh, and I do need to say on, yeah. face, on the Facebook group, Moms Raising Sons Book Club, we are reading through Moms Raising Sons to be men together. So you can s- jump in there. We've only in May, we're reading chapter one. So I haven't discussed it. I will discuss it on June 1st or the first weekend of June. So if you go in and, and say, I want to be a part of that, there's like 500 ladies in there. Uh, I also created videos. They're free that go along with each chapter of the book. You can find those on that if you go to my website and click on Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Steve and I also made marriage videos that go along with our marriage book. Those are free. If you go to the book and you go Moms, uh, the Marriage Mentor wow. and click on that. So, And I got to say my favorite book I've written is called Real Life Romance. It's just a collection of amazing love stories that honor Christ, honor purity, redeeming romance. Mine and Steve's love story is the first. My four kids' love stories are in the back. Uh, if you just want a fun, good read, kind of a chicken soup for the soul, love stories that honor Christ, that is my favorite book. I just never know how to market real-life romance, but it is a fun book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Great. I love it. We'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. And, uh, and hey, feel free to come back on the Reclamation Podcast anytime you want. You were an absolute joy to chat with. Thank you. I would absolutely love that. Let's visit... Maybe put me down for uh, pastor's appreciation, like in October. Okay. Let's talk about pastor's ministry, how to minister to your minister, maybe. That'd okay, be good. we can. That's one of a great topic. Yeah, I would love that. Great. Thanks so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. What a powerful conversation. I, I sometimes think it's such a gift to go back and listen to the generation that's above us. And Rhonda has such wisdom. I love the way she talks about doing things even if you're scared. I love the way she speaks of the assurance of God and how God's got this. Fascinating conversation with an important voice in the world. Hey, if this conversation was uplifting to you, follow Rhonda on Instagram. Let her know that you heard her here on the Reclamation Podcast. As always, your feedback is warmly welcomed. You can hit me up on Instagram at TWMilt and share this episode with a friend. It's always better to walk with God with others. Guys, I'm so incredibly thankful for you and the community that we're building here. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.